Uh, welcome everyone. I think this is, uh, what are we up to, round three um, of what it means to be poor in spirit on our journey through the Beatitudes. Um, and it is my absolute privilege to uh, welcome up Luke um, to share with us. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Um, now, from the moment that I met Luke a number of years ago, there was something about the man and what he had been through with God in such a short space of time, a humility, a brokenness of spirit, and an ability to hear what it was that God was saying and doing. And so I, really, when I say it's a privilege, it really is a privilege, mate, you know, to, to have you share. Um, and guys, I'd really just encourage you to, to listen and learn and receive from a man who's not just about to share some words about God, but who knows God and has God living inside of him. So, Luke, over to you, mate. Got my own hype man. <laughs> um, evening, family. Um, I've been really looking forward to these evenings and expectant for what he's going to be teaching us through them. Um, and even in my own time with him, there's been like this greater depth of revelation and understanding. Um, on the Beatitudes, both what they are and what that opens the door to for us as his people. Um, it's such a privilege to be part of this family and to be under an eldership that is committed to seeking the fullness of this life in Christ. Um, so I'm just going to briefly share a few key things that he's been showing me around the Beatitudes, especially what it means to be poor in spirit um, and what that's looked like in my life and when I say briefly, I mean briefly. You won't need to set the timer for this one, Sam. Um, so something that's really struck me is that Jesus embodies the Beatitudes. It's, it's who he is because they're the very character and nature of God. Um, a few weeks back in one of Sam's messages, he said that we need to become the message before we speak the message. And, and that's what Christ is. He's just putting words to his reality and to what he's living from. Um, when he taught, the people were astonished because he taught as one having an authority, and that was because that's the power of this life that's lived out. Um, and we see in the way that he engages with people, carries himself, and responds to situations around him that the Beatitudes are a part of his being. He is poor in spirit, he is meek, he is merciful, and you don't get much more of a peacemaker than reconciling creation back to its creator. Um, and he's the ultimate demonstration of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So whether it's the Beatitudes, the attributes of love, or the fruit of the Spirit, they're all manifestations of the divine nature. It's one and the same. And this wasn't limited to Christ because he was showing us by demonstration what's possible for a Spirit-filled believer. And it says in Second Peter that through the great and precious promises that he has given, we are to be partakers of this divine nature. Um, we've been looking at what it means to be poor in spirit and when we hear the word poor it has a real negative connotation to it because man being man associates it with lack especially of physical things like possessions and money um, but Jesus is saying here that you're blessed if you're poor in spirit and the promise that's attached to it that theirs is the kingdom of God um, but what does it even mean to be poor in spirit and what does that look like here and now in our lives all I can do is speak from what I've encountered and experienced myself. Um, anything outside of that isn't the power and authority that Jesus taught from. 
So before encountering God, I thought that I was a nice enough guy. I had my flaws, but on the whole, I wasn't too bad. I was quite capable of running my own life, and I was confident in my own ability to take care of myself. I've been to plenty of um, church services and went on an Alpha course. That was one of my parents' many attempts to see me saved. But I saw no room for God. There was no, I had no lack in my own view. Um, because I was too full of myself, ultimately, there was no room for him. But it was at the age of 24 that the tower of self began to crack. And at 25, it came tumbling down. And great was its fall. Now, there's a whole series of events and circumstances that led up to that point. Um, but I'll save that story for another day. But I went from being full of myself to being completely emptied. And it was as though a veil was torn from my eyes and I saw my absolute need. And I saw the true state and the mess that I had made of my life and the trail of hurt and destruction I had left in my wake. I saw my absolute inability to do anything and that I had a complete need for someone or something greater than myself. And I found this verse in Revelation 3 and it just perfectly puts words to to what I experienced. Um, So I'll just read that out. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. You see, the problem wasn't my true state and that I was wretched, miserable and poor. The problem was that I was unaware of it. And I was fully convinced that I was rich and had need of nothing until he changed it and in his mercy he showed me my absolute need for God. He showed me my true state. Um, In that moment, I cried out with everything that I had. I said, God, if you're real, I need you. And there's a verse in Jeremiah that says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that was the moment he had been waiting for for 25 years of my life. I'd reached that pre-appointed time in my life that I would be humbled, broken in spirit, and born again into a new and living way. See, everyone has the same absolute need for God. It's just whether we know it or not and to what measure. Just to give context to that verse in Revelation, Jesus is addressing the church. That's, that's the body that he's talking to, not, not unbelievers. So it's possible for us as Christians to be unaware of our true state. And we've heard it said here multiple times that this message is offensive to the flesh that says, I can. But to those that have been broken in the spirit and know that they can't, it's a word of life. I know that place, and the evidence of me knowing that place is how my life changed. And I can't even put into words what my life has been like over the last five years. Um, I've been trying to think of an example to illustrate this. You know, Jesus was constantly taken from the physical and using it to highlight the spiritual. Um, and you've got people like Sam that can draw a divine analogy from a gherkin. <laughs> but the, th- the thing that kept popping into my mind when, when thinking about this was a scene from the movie Finding Nemo. And if you're a grandparent, a parent, or you're just like me and you love a good Disney movie, you would have seen this one because it's, it's a classic. And it's the scene with the turtles. And, and these turtles ride this rip in the ocean called the East Australian Current. And they introduce Nemo's dad and Dory to this powerful current. And I couldn't help but draw a comparison of my own life before Christ. 
that I was just bobbing through life with no direction, swimming around in my own strength, and then I'd suddenly entered into this current, this unseen force that was propelling me forward with purpose and direction. No effort of my own, but I was just a beneficiary of this power. And similar to what Mel spoke a few weeks back about the breath of life and the wind, it's an unseen force that can influence and empower. I'm not in that place of brokenness anymore, and yet I've never left it. Because I carry around with me the revelation that apart from him I can do nothing. This, I believe, is the poverty of spirit required to receive the kingdom of God. It's not optional, but compulsory to hearing and seeing in the spirit. And Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus that it's a nice idea to be born again. He said you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And I know that the panel is going to be looking at Psalm 51. And that's David's heart cry of true repentance, where he says, Sacrifice and offering you don't desire, but the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And when I hit that place of rock bottom, I fell to my knees and I gave over control of my life. I offered it up to him and said, Take my life, Lord, and use it to glorify your name. Everything that I am is yours. And that's been my experience of what it means to be poor in spirit. So. It's beautiful and profound day, you know, work of God and someone, just before you leave Luke, it would just be awesome if you're happy, just before we transition into the panel, just to pray that this poor and spirit position would be something that we all lay hold of and, and enter into. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you that you're so committed to us and so faithful to us, Lord, and we just pray that there would be an absolute revelation of our state before you, and that this place of poverty of spirit isn't a a bad thing, that was the best time of my life. It was the greatest thing that could ever happen to me, even though it was the hardest thing that happened to me, because in that moment I was born again and born into your life, Father. So I pray that we would all find that place, Lord, because it's where true life begins. That's the starting block of being found in you. And I thank you that there's a, an awesome relationship to be had on the other side of that, Father. So we just thank you for who you are. Thank you for tonight. And I just pray that the discussion in the panel would be rich with your word, Father, and it would have power and it would carry what it should do, the ability to change and transform. Thank you for who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name. Awesome. All right. I'd just, like, just like to invite the panel up, guys. That'd be awesome. That was massive, eh? That was massive, you know. And I think, you know, like we were saying, you can hear through testimony something that scriptures in and of themselves can't bring to light, eh? You know, it's the power of God influencing someone 
to such a degree that their lives are never the same again, eh? So thank you, Luke. That was awesome. All right, this evening we're going to be having a look at Psalm 51. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 51. Now, Psalm 51 is a, is a powerful cry from a man who has gone through the same process that we just heard Luke describing. Um, this comes from David, the same David who, uh, who had killed Goliath, um, the same David who had lived with such authenticity before God, who demonstrated humility, who um, you know, was absolutely was refusing to kill the very person who was, um, who was after his life when he had the opportunity to choosing instead to follow God as opposed to himself. But David came to a point in his life, um, like we heard from Luke, where there was something that happened to him that transitioned him from where he was into this place of being poor in spirit that we're going to be looking at. And many of you will know the story of um, of Bathsheba and how David sees a good-looking woman on a roof when all of his other soldiers um, had gone away into battle, sees this woman, um, goes and sleeps with her, and then tries to cover the whole situation up by uh, essentially murdering her husband um, and pretending like everything was okay. David then gets confronted by the prophet Nathan, who has the guts and the audacity to bring to David what it was that he was, this, this lifestyle that he, that he was living in. And Nathan confronts him and gives him a little parable um, um, of the situation with a, a poor and a rich person. I won't go into the detail all of, it, of it, but essentially David hears this parable from the prophet and is like, man, the prophet poses to him, what would you do in that position? David said, man, that, that man ought to be put to death. And Nathan said, oh, just by the way, that man is you. And so something happens to David in this moment. And the psalm that we're about to look at in, in Psalm 51 is, um, is a cry that comes from the, de- from the deepest core of a man who found repentance and who found this poverty of spirit. So that's a bit of context for us. Um, but I'll, I'll read through the psalm and, um, and then our awesome panel here um, will be able to answer a few questions for us. All right, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is, uh, and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me, know, uh, make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your uh, generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Now listen to this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good. And your, uh, do good and your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Powerful psalm, hey. Powerful, powerful psalm. Um, and to get us cracking for the night and just to give us the panel something to work with, um, I've got a little example for us. And um, if, I, if I don't mind just having the people that are sitting to the left of this table just shuffle maybe to the back table because things are about to get dangerous. <laughs> so if you guys, ladies at the back, are happy to just to move maybe to the back table or up here. Paul, you as well. Don't worry. No one's going to get hurt as long as you listen to my instructions. There's no kinds of surprises in this bag tonight. No snacks in this bag, no. Now, to to demonstrate, I think, what it means to be poor in spirit and what this broken position looks like, I've got two cups. Now, one cup has already started on this process but it hasn't yet found the place of poverty and brokenness of spirit that we're describing. This is the consequence of uh, dinner time in the Willis household (laughs) when a three-year-old decides he doesn't want to use a plastic cup anymore, (laughs) he wants to use a big boy cup. (laughs) All right, and now we have our pristine glass. All right, and, and so now we've heard about this cry that's come from David as he hasn't just been chipped or scratched or tweaked. This man, he, he found what we call repentance and it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And so here we've got a glass that maybe has had a little bit of work done on it, but in my mind it's actually rather functional, wouldn't you say? You can... St- Serious, you can still have about 50 mils of water in this glass to take a sip. You may get cut on the way. <laughs> but the, it somewhat resembles a cup. It's somewhat functional um, and it can actually perform tasks relatively well. Now, sorry, ladies, I do have to ask you just either if you don't want to move, you could just close your eyes because I don't want, to, don't want this to be an osh hazard. <laughs> oh, sorry, you're right. If you, maybe just close your eyes when this happens. But you know, they say that a picture speaks a thousand words. So uh, if you don't mind just having a look at this picture. Now, what do you expect to happen? The chair might break. (laughs) 
All right, ladies, close your eyes. Everyone else, open your eyes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, Mike, your time has come, my friend. <laughs> now, for anyone standing at the back, I'd actually just like you to, you can stand up and come and have a look. Come and have a look. Come and have a look at what's happened here. If you, Mitch, not you, mate, not you. Not you, you've got bare feet. <laughs> no. All right. Now Mike's, um, Mike's got the enviable task of giving them brush and shovel and I've just got this roll of sellotape and um, Mike has offered just to put the glass back together while the panel are discussing. <laughs> so thank you, Mike. All right, Pam, don't worry about it. Mike's, uh, Mike's onto it. <laughs> Come and grab a seat. All right. So while it's a fun example, there's something that God is looking, there's something that God is looking for in us. And like I was saying before, the chipped glass was somewhat functional, but it was still intact. And David was a functional man. He was living for God. There were many great men of God who were doing incredible exploits. People like Moses who were trained in all of the wisdom and the learning of Egypt. And yet God required every one of them to go through a similar process where something happened to them on the inside where they were broken not just chipped, but broken to pieces to such a measure that their own human ability could no longer achieve or suffice for what it was that God was wanting to do. They weren't just damaged, they became poor in spirit. The pride that we've heard about was smashed into a thousand pieces, so much so that they were never to be put back together again. Why? Because God is looking for us to go through that same process that we come, like we've heard from Luke, to the very end of our own human ability that we break and we allow Him not just to piece us back together piece by piece, but to make us brand new. You know, it doesn't say that God will mend our broken hearts in the Bible. He says that He wants to give us a new heart. And now God is not... He is not interested in, in putting back these pieces together so that we might somewhat resemble what he hoped for us. He's looking and he says he's come to make all things new with a new power, a new life, a new strength, a new capacity on the inside to live in a way that we could never live before. And so uh, the, um, our crew on the panel this evening are going to be looking um, at what, what does it mean to be broken in spirit? Is it just about having bad things happen to you? Or is there something more that God is looking for to happen in us? So I've got a few questions. Uh, the questions are, number one, what does it mean to be broken in spirit? And what is a contrite heart? Chris, do you want to kick us off? It's amazing, eh? when we think about brokenness, I don't know whether you realize that there's different types of brokenness. You can be broken physically, 
you know, you, you could have problems with your body that's not functioning as you get older or, you know, uh, you know, you've been playing rugby all your life and suddenly, you know, at the end of the year, you know, your body's not able to do what it used to do. It's a broken body. But then there's mentally or emotionally broken. Now that's, you know, they say those that went through the Holocaust, a lot of them were emotionally disturbed, emotionally broken. But then there's also being spiritually broken, and we often get the two muddled up. We think because I'm emotionally broken, you know, we think that's being spiritually broken, but it's not. It's actually quite different. And so we need to be able to understand the difference between it. In actual fact, if we understand what being spiritually broken is, it trumps all the other brokenness. Because God wants to set us free. But his brokenness, when we, he breaks us, it's different from what the world does. It's how, you know, so we need to come to that understanding of being what it is to be spiritually broken. When we come to the end of ourselves and everything and realizing that it's only him that can do it. And when you come to that point of, of letting go, something else happens. But it's, when we get muddled up with our emotional brokenness, we, you know, we get all tied up in knots. But it's the cry of the heart, like David cried out and said, God, I need you. And it said, look, if one of those verses there, it talked about, um, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Because whenever there's a broke, you know, when you're broken in God, there's always life that comes to it. And it talks about looking forward. It's not looking back. And when we look at the different ones that have been broken in the Bible, we think, well, was Judas broken? Surely he was broken. But in actual fact, it was remorse. Well, what's the difference between remorse and, and brokenness? See, so we've got to understand all these different types. Remorse is actually very self-orientated. It's regretting what I have done. It's all about what I have done. It's not so much about God's not even really in the equation. I'm, I'm self, you know, I'm so sorry for what I've done, but it's, it's all about me. Rather than David who cries out and says, only you, God, have I sinned. You know, he acknowledges it before God because spiritual brokenness is one that actually it's between you and God. And there's, and there's a cry to him to set you free. Not about, oh, I really regret what I did. Because that only leads to death. It leads you down to a spiral that goes down and down and down. So there's quite a huge difference in it. And I think that that regret is still self-centered. Eh? It's, it's concerned about the consequences of your actions back to yourself. As opposed to David says, to you only have I sinned. You know, he's concerned about God as opposed to the, the, the consequences to himself. Eh? You know? Awesome. What about for others? Um, so I was thinking around, you know, it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. How do you get a broken heart? It's not in a vacuum, right? It doesn't happen spontaneously. You don't just get broken. You have a broken heart because you have a person or a dream or an idea that lets you down, that abandons you, that betrays you, that dies, or doesn't live up to what you thought it was going to. And that's what breaks our heart. And so what are, the th what are the ways that we can put our hope and our, our dreams, our trust and our faith 
in something else or someone else because that's what's going to break our hearts. And a contrite heart is to be repentant. To repent is to turn. And so it's to turn and to put it, the, the trust and the hope and the faith back where it belongs, which is in God. And so a broken heart is to realise the things of this world will never satisfy, and a contrite heart is to turn and put it back where it goes. And I would say to you, if, if you haven't had your heart broken yet, you know, maybe you've got a really awesome spouse and really lovely children and you've got a really cushy job and it's just going to be sweet. I, you know, I have to break it to you, but something, those things will break your heart. And we are told in you know, Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. All of these things that we can prop up for ourselves will at some time let us down. If they haven't already, they will. And like, you know, like it's, it sounds pretty dark, but the people around you, they will die. The jobs that you have, you know, you'll retire from. The, the wealth that you build up, you can't take with you when you die. The, the beauty that you have will fade. The physique that you've built will wither. You know... <laughs> And so those things that you put your trust in, if you put your whole trust and your whole self in those things, they will break your heart. And we need to like re- realise that now and turn to God now. That contrite is to repent and to turn. Um, for me, the standout bit of that was um, uh, verse 3 where it says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And so for me, this brokenness of spirit is something that might not be manifest externally. Like sometimes it is and that's okay, but it's really a a revelation of who God is and our absolute lack of him. Um, And I feel like that's such a, like you said, Luke, it's such a great place because actually to even see like that means that he's stepped in and shown you something that you didn't see before. Mm-hmm. It's not a, I mean, you think about what it was that David did and he had killed someone, he had ruined some life, you know, he had done a whole bunch of things and in an earthly sense, he would have had every reason to be able to go, I've wronged this person and I've wronged that person and I've done this and I've done that and these are the natural consequences and he goes, actually, what I see is this this in this transaction between me and God, I am incredibly deficient. I've, I've seen something of myself that is against you, and this is what needs to be sorted out. It's nothing else. Um, and I feel like for those of us that have had this, and hopefully that's all of us, where we've had this exchange, it's not really about the external stuff, even though you might have external processes that can instigate or trigger or highlight this. I was also thinking how good was it like you know how it says that all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose and I was thinking imagine if you know think about yourself you're David you've made the biggest mistake you've capped it off with another one you're just you're just on a downward spiral right and you can just imagine David going she's pregnant you know like this thing that he did is you know, your sins will find you out. What is hidden will be revealed. Thank God that these things come out. And thank God for David who was exposed in the land of the living, not later on, because it was these things that seemed to be really against him and his earthly means that led him to the place where he found true repentance. So thank God that it panned out like it did.
And I think that's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, there's, there's a blessing that they've entered into, even if it's meant going through right. situations like this, eh? you know. And I think, like you were saying, Chris, earlier about this breaking process, you know, and that there's, there can be emotional breaking or physical breaking, but ultimately it's not about either of those things. It's about finding this brokenness of spirit, eh? you know. And I think for us, you know, even here in, in this context, we can, um, you know, find emotional breaking and go to the altar and, you know, look for prayer and be seeking people to share what we're going through with. And that all of this realm still being still being played out in emotional brokenness, eh? You know, but the true mark of whether we find that place of spiritual breaking of true repentance, I think, is what we we heard from Luke that that you know this repentance leads to life. You know, that emotional brokenness can lead to momentary like freedom from the situation where you get it off your chest and you share it with someone and you even there can be tears and and regret and, and all that sort of thing but the big question is does it lead to life you know um and it says the bible says that repentance leads to life you know i was listening to um on every now and then if i I'm on the ra- wrong. If I'm on Tessa's radio station when I get in the car going home from banquet, I'm listening to national radio, <laughs> and they have this like TED Talk hour between seven and eight on a Sunday night. And I was I don't know if anyone else happened to have it on the other week, but um, it, just as I was about to turn it off, something caught my attention, and it was a, a podcast about um, the lady who had had an affair with um, the American president. Um, what was his name Bill Clinton? Bill Clinton, and so this lady. Was, was the lady who had been part of that affair as a young girl and she had been brought onto this TED talk to share about her experience and the post-traumatic stress that she had experienced post that event. And these TED talk guys were holding her up as like, the, this is the pinnacle of restoration from past wrong but she described that she had had to put things in place to cope with the stress this emotional turmoil that she had went to but she said she had that she had put quite a number of things in place that most of the time she could block it out of her mind but every now and then something would trigger her and everything would come rushing back the emotional brokenness that she had gone through and while she had learned to manage it, she was not actually free from it. And yet they, it was being applauded as this is, here's a lady who's moved on in life from this brokenness. And yet there was something still lacking that even in the midst of this emotional turmoil and brokenness and humiliation, she hadn't found this place of of poverty of spirit that David had found, you know? And to me, what's incredible about this passage is actually not about a man who committed adultery. It's a man who found this place of true brokenness that was that the brokenness led to repentance, which led to life that took his eyes off himself and onto God and being actually free from the very thing that he had been caught up into because he had found this place of broken brokenness of spirit, eh, you know? So a very big difference between um, just being emotionally broken and finding poverty of spirit, eh, you know? Well, Esau, Esau is another example that comes to mind of that because it says that it, there was no place found for repentance even though he sought it with many tears. So he realised what he had done and what it had cost him and he was really sorry 
remorseful, but you know, and just to realize what kind of a gift of God this repentance is. I was reading um, Acts 11 and, and Cornelius, you know the story, he's, he sends a delegation, Peter comes along with some friends, and I'm, I'm you know, surmising it, but it was, it's a massive thing where the Holy Spirit turns up on the Gentiles, and when Peter goes back to his friends in Jerusalem, they're like, you ate with Gentiles, you know, it's a really big deal. And he starts to explain what it is that's happened and, and recount the circumstances that led up to this, the hand of God in the process. And then he says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. What a gift. I was thinking around um, how exceptional it is that a man who did what we've heard about, this, you know, King David, was called a man after God's own heart. Yeah. And how it's not only that he did that, but that he didn't have Nathan executed, you know? <laughs> that he actually allowed that humiliation that we heard about, you know, to be humbled, to be humiliated. And then for it to be recorded and discussed thousands of years later. Yeah. Like, what a, what a story of, like, he's still being humbled yeah. by this. Yeah. He's still being taken off his perch. He's still being brought down a peg, and yet he's still being lifted up as a man after God's own heart. Yeah. And what a you know, upside-down kingdom we live in that a king who would have this, you know, confrontation and not execute him, but to, you know, to enter that process of repentance and then to have it recorded for... Yeah you know, thousands of years later for us to discuss his sin and his brokenness, yeah. like, that's, that's, that's humble. That's humiliating. Totally. And, you know, it says at the, at the end of David's life, I'm not sure, I can't remember if it's a psalm or if, um, if it's just in the, the historical account, but it says that he was righteous and without sin. It's right at the end of his life. Now, what? <laughs> you know, like, here's a man who's been caught up in the most immense sin and yet the way that he's recorded at the end of his life is if it says that he was a man who was righteous and without sin yeah. what why why is it that that's how he's recorded as a man of with a, of a heart after god you know because what he went through the repentance the brokenness of spirit had transitioned him from death and into life that he had the sin had been so removed from who he was not just the effects of the sin but the reality of the nature that lived inside of him still had been shattered to a zillion pieces and he had been put back together received a new heart within him that it was able to be said here's a man who was without sin even though he had been caught up in sin, but the person that he was is not the person that he became, you know? And no one can change what they've done, but you can, you can be changed, you know? And, and that is the, the redemption and the power of the gospel is actually to become a new creation through Christ. Eh? The, the funny thing too is that when, when, I mean, when you look at David, you think, well, you know, Surely he wasn't, you know, he's... Well, sometimes when, when God does a deep work in you, when you're speaking from that place of freedom, when people look at it through the eyes of the world, they think you're very prideful. And it's purely because the, the whole concept of what, how you're seeing everything is wrong. 
I mean, Jesus is sitting there in the synagogue and he's reading out this message out of Isaiah. And he closes the book and he says, you know, well, today this, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah. And they thought, well, who are you? Yeah. You know, but he was humble. <laughs> yeah. You know, poor in spirit. He was that. Yeah. And yet the others took it wrongly because they couldn't understand what he was really saying. And, you know, when, when people are walking and moving and living in him, it can be seen through the eyes of the, of the flesh as totally different to what it really is. There's just a couple of other things too, you know, repentance and uh, remorse. Um, it says here, um, uh, regrettably uh, wishing you had never done it, but also driven by what others think. Whereas repentance is driven only by what God thinks. Uh, regret or remorse produces fear and guilt, whereas repentance produces life and fruit and turning towards God. Repentance is a decision that affects forward motion. And remorse is just a reflection on the choices you made. So it's caught up in the past. Whereas repentance propels you forward. Can I make that a segue? <laughs> that's, that's cool. I really like that, that remorse as opposed to repentance. And I think this um, passage from Isaiah does a really good job of, I think, illustrating some of that. Um, so this is from Isaiah 1, and this is God speaking. And he says, uh, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And then he goes on to say... Um, Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. And so when it comes to this you know, verse uh, in that Psalm 51 around, I don't, um, uh, don't delight in sacrifices or offerings, you know, there's meant to be a transaction that happens, as Chris is alluding to, this not just remorse, not just a, oh, here's my, here's my offering, as though, you know, a bit of guilt, a bit of a guilt offering, but it's actually to lead to a change, it's to lead to a transformation. And as, I was thinking of an example of what, what that might be like, and I was thinking, imagine a married couple, you know, had this 50, 60 year um, long marriage, lots of children, they're still in love and still, you know, this um, abundant, wonderful marriage. And you ask them, you know, what's the secret to that, to that marriage? And they say to you, it was a really great wedding. You know, like a really good ph ph photographer, <laughs> sweet as, like catering, a live band. That's the secret to our 50 or 60 year marriage, was the wedding, was the ceremony. And it's, it's of course absurd, right? It's in the day-to-day. -day. It's in the actual laying down of your life in the moment, not the ceremony. The ceremony is important and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's got full of symbols and it's something to, to remember. It's a, it's, a, it's a marker in time, but it's not the point and it's not, it's, it doesn't change us. In the same way the Sabbath, you know, was, was there as a reminder to, to God's people to rest and to to meditate and to reflect on God and to be in community, to not work endlessly um, for, for wealth, 
but to rest as God demonstrated. And there was this Jewish tradition, tradition of um, trying to figure out all the rules, all the things you could and couldn't do on a Sabbath. You know, like, can I, you know, because the, 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 the instruction was to not work. So could you paint your house? Is that considered work, you know? Could you go to do the groceries, you know, because that's kind of a, that's a, that's a dumb job, that's a bit of work. Could you go to the dairy, you know, maybe, maybe the dairy? Um, and and, and the, these, the, the tradition was getting so out of hand, it was getting so focused on the ceremony that when Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, the Pharisees couldn't even understand it. The things of God so clearly healing people and delivering them and bringing freedom was seen as work and therefore wrong. How backwards is that? How much has ceremony become the point instead of the transformation? And so in this way, you know, the, the, the sort of scripture from Isaiah is, yes, you're doing the ceremonies. Yes, you're doing the Sabbaths. Yes, you're doing the feasts and you're doing the offerings. But what about the oppressed? And what about the, the poor among you? What are you doing to care and to love and to demonstrate who I am? I'm sick of that festival. It's hollow. Remember what I've asked you to do and let that change you. It's great, mate. And I think bringing it back into our context, you know, like this, these scriptures are timeless, eh? And that they were speaking to people of the day, but relate as much to us, eh? You know, and, and all of the ceremonies and um, what we could call services, eh? In, in every environment that we're a part of, you know, Sunday services, discipleship groups, they, the, the, it's, it's not the services or the environment in and of themselves that produce this, right? You know, um, that you can be in a discipleship group and not be discipled or be in a service and not be eating the living manna that comes from um, the, the word that's being proclaimed. Eh? So in, in all of this, there's something that's happening externally, but it's all for a greater purpose, which is our transformation, hey, you know? Um, so that was actually a fantastic segue, Mike, into our, uh, <laughs> into our second question, um, which is, why does God not delight in sacrifices and offerings? <laughs> when, when David quoted that verse, do you know where it comes from? When Saul is confronted by Samuel, and Samuel gives Saul a word from God to do a certain task, and when Samuel gets there to see what he's done, the first thing he sees, the first thing that's noted, that Saul's built a monument to himself. (laughs) That says a lot, doesn't it? (laughs) Built a monument to himself. And then, of course, he goes and confronts him because he hears bleating of sheep and all that sort of thing. And he uses that excuse to, well, I was going to sacrifice them anyway. Whether he was or wasn't, you just don't know. But he tacks God onto the end of it. And, you know, for us, we can do the same thing. We can tack things on the end of everything. And yet that's not what God was wanting. And now if you've got a uh, truly broken spirit, you don't tack God onto the end of things. God becomes everything. He becomes your source. He becomes your life. He becomes absolutely everything. And Saul, he never, he never grasped this. And I mean, he loses his kingdom, basically. It was going to be torn from him. But there's more that he says, but look, I'm really sorry for what I've done, but can you please come with me and, and honor me and, and bless, you know, bless me in front of them? So 
the, the, the flesh wants to be honoured, the flesh wants to be lifted up, the flesh wants everything done its way. He wants the repentance and, you, you know, the, to say, hey, look, I'm sorry, and yet I want the, the worldly result of it as well. So true repentance is actually turning the other way. How David got on his, his, on his face, he was absolutely broken. That's what contrite, being contrite means. It means absolutely being aware of, of, of hurting God, of, of, of breaking God's heart and wanting to be reconciled. Saul didn't have that. He was trying to work it out through the sacrifices. Oh, yeah, I've I, I sinned, but I, you know, I was going to use them for sacrifices. I was going to do this and do that. And then he blamed the people, but they made me, or they, they put me under pressure. You know, there was no owning it like David did. But that's where, that's where we get that bit about um, I, I don't desire you know, sacrifices and, and burnt offerings. What does he desire? A broken spirit, a contrite heart. Mm. Just um, bring us into Hebrews where it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And so, you know, for me it's exactly that. It's, it's, I feel like the whole point of the sacrifices was to realise that these things cost something. It was, a, it was an example of a type and shadow, obviously, of Christ, but that these things cost, therefore there, there needs to be a transformation as a result of it. Um, you know, and we talk about polishing the outside and not having the inside changed. And for me, the, the sacrifices which, while someone, let's say there were priests that were potentially performing animal sacrifices that allowed that to have a work in their heart and to see the message behind it, it's, it was completely possible to not be changed by that at all. I mean, we look at the history of so many of the priests. We've got um, Eli and his, and his sons. We've got even Aaron's sons, you know, the first priest and his sons. You know, they offered strange fire, and, and, and it could really easily become something which was so externally driven but had no power to change the real deal. And I think in, in everything that we're talking about tonight and everything we're looking at through this series of being poor in spirit, I, I hope that you can hear that where we're trying to transition from is just talking about things conceptually to actually asking the question, have you gone through the same process that you're hearing described, you know? Because I think like Mike, like Mike sharing, we can go through the motions every week and attend the services, but if there's no actual real transformation and change, we've actually missed everything that we're a part of, hey, you know? And I think that's why he says, is, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the sacrifices and offerings, but actually when you read down in the next verse, he's saying actually it is about the sacrifices and offerings, um, but the issue that he's looking for is he's saying it's, it's not this without this, you know? It's not this environment without the transformation. Actually, it's all about the transformation that, and the, the environment is here to facilitate actual fellowship and connection and communion with God and togetherness with one another. And that this word that we're hearing and chewing on and eating and meditating on would actually 
like become real inside of us. And if that's happening, then then that's what God is into, you know. But He's saying if if that's not happening, then whatever we're doing for God, like Mike was saying, we could we could just as easily use the words that um, Solomon and Ecclesiastes are saying: meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. Your time, your energy, your effort, your resource is not achieving the ultimate aim of God, which is become being formed in the likeness of Christ. Hey, eh? you know. And so, to Jesus, you know, when confronted around his work on the Sabbath, he said the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. You know, this is intended to shape us and form us. That's the purpose of it. So to Sam's point, it's not to abolish the Sabbath. Jesus wasn't saying, you know, let's get rid of it. He just said it's to work in us. You know? There's works to be done. You know, there's functioning roles to be performed. Even, even in this community, they, they, you know, there's, there's coffee to make. There's, um, there's messages to be spoken. There's music to be played. But those things aren't ends, eh? You know, they're, they're means to a greater end. You know, and I think it's it's not about not having those things. It's about what the the aim or the the purpose of them always has been. Eh? I really, I really pray that um, when you hear a lot of these sort of messages and talks, that you don't go home feeling absolutely condemned. Because if you're feeling condemned, you know, it's not the spirit; it's the flesh in you. In actual fact, we need to be able to arrest our spirit and say, why am I feeling this way? Because you can end up opposing what God wants to do in you. And the reason why he makes you uncomfortable is purely because he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to bring you to that place of brokenness. And often it's when you're confronted with the truth and you don't like it. When I first came to this place, I thought I had all the answers. I thought I was okay. But God had to do a big work in me. And you know, my world's been totally upside down, changed upside down. And my eyes have started to be open and to so many things. And yet I had to be confronted point after point after point. So I hope it really encourages you today not to be discouraged. But if you're feeling really aggro about it, or if you're feeling up and down about it, or you're feeling condemned, actually take it to the Lord, because that's exactly what God wants you to do. Take it to Him, because He wants to show you a new reality you've never come into. And there's just so much more for us all to come into. It's, um, it's like we heard tonight, you know, and was sharing, that it, there's no loss there's no loss in this, and if you know, going back to the example of David, what a what a win, you know. And and when I read this, I go, man, what an example for us. And this is what it, these people are there for our example, so that we can see these things. Because it's not like he's left us without examples. He he, we have the lives of those that have gone before, so we can see their wins and their failures. Um, and, and the trick for us is to hear it and to go, actually, there's nothing that I've done that can separate me from the love of God, that all things are for my good, like I shared before. And so if we can see it for what it is, and when, when we have this position of heart towards God, see, part of this process for me is that when he opens our eyes to our true state, it's not a pushing away, but a drawing near. 
He says, I, I'm showing you these things. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. I salve that you can see that you can come into my way. And what is repentance but turning from our way to his way? And so when, when these things are highlighted in our lives, like, like Luke was saying before, you don't leave this place. It's not like we go, oh, well, I've, I've got it all together now. Now I know. You go, actually, God, I'm found in you. So please, Chris, continue to show me what it is that you're saying so that I can continue to be found in your way. Because some of these things I get straight away and some of them I've got to learn. Some of them I, I still don't get. But that's okay because it doesn't disqualify me. And I love this, this verse in Psalm 51 where it says, um, uh, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Isn't that an oxymoron? Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. You know, that there's a particular way of hearing that David's describing in here. That when he hears brokenness, he hears joy and gladness. You know, because I think that to me, that's the difference between hearing with natural ears and hearing with spiritual ears you know you hear the message of death and resurrection and it's no longer foolishness and it's no longer condemning um, and it's no longer frustrating it's joy and gladness you know because you know that the message of repentance is the message of life you know it's a message of change it's the message of being free from yourself um, and so f for David it's the message of joy and gladness hey um, another oxymoron to go with that one from Switchfoot. Um, I love this song and I probably quoted it before, but it was a beautiful letdown when I crashed and burned, when I found myself alone, unknown and hurt. It was a beautiful letdown the day I knew that all the riches of the world this world had to offer me would never do. In a world full of bitter pain and bitter doubts, I was trying so hard to fit in until I found out I don't belong here. You know, I love that. It's a beautiful letdown. It's a beautiful thing to be let down by this world. It's a beautiful thing to have your heart broken by the things of this world because it leads you to where only we can be found in God. This powerful verse in Isaiah, it says, um, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honour me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the command of men, Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvellous work among this people, a marvellous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. You know, And it says, um, you know, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Um, and he talks about the commandments being, written, uh, being done by rote, but then he says, therefore, behold, I will do a marvellous work amongst the people, you know. And in all of this, God is, God is saying that he is so absolutely committed and devoted to getting us from what we might have been in into the fullness of the substance that's available in Christ, you know? Um, he's saying he wants to take us from just merely external actions to having a heart full of love and devotion and gratitude towards him, eh? you know? Um, oops. 
Sorry, Luke. <laughs> Promised I'd take care of Luke's Bible tonight. <laughs> I think it's broken. It's sort of broken. Divided at support and spirit Bible. It's <laughs> um, but I think you, could, you, can, you can see eh, this reality of being poor in spirit is so foundational for us as a church, eh? and it really is the way to life. You know? um, so I think we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, um, did we do questions? Um, it would be cool if we just spend maybe you know, 10, 15 minutes just dialoguing. Um, and, and instead of actually just answering those questions, it would be cool if we just talk in our groups about like, what does it mean? Um, what, does, what is spiritual brokenness? What does it mean to be broken? Um, and it would be cool if people are able to share their experience. If, if you've experienced what that looks like, if, if not... Um, just dialogue and ask the questions about what you've heard tonight. Um, that'd be cool. Sorry, Sam, can I just quickly s- squeeze just one more little thing in? Yeah, yeah. Um, David shows or reveals a position that we need to understand as well for brokenness. In the very first verse, it says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions according to who according to what I know according to what I feel according to what others have told me or according to his loving kindness according to him you see our starting position is him and so if you want to be you know through the brokenness it has to be him that's the starting position otherwise we will miss it and do it according to our own eyes of flesh and we'll miss it and we'll start off and we'll go all skew if according to him thank you all right so just to clarify in groups it would be great to talk about what what is um what is this broken spirit that we've been looking at and um to be able to share honestly if, if, if that's something that we've experienced um and um also what we've heard uh, from the panel this evening All right, thanks guys.